Hello, music teacher friends. Welcome to episode number 89 of the Beyond Measure podcast. I am Christina Whitlock, here to serve as your anytime piano teacher friend. And hey, I hope you're having a good day. (laughs) And even if you're not, I hope this time together will lift up your spirits and help you feel a little less alone. One quick reminder before we dive in, if you enjoy this podcast and want to help keep it happening, please do consider joining the community over on Patreon. You can choose to support the show for as little as $3 a month, and those small contributions are going to add up quickly and allow me to keep this show a priority in my creative life. So thank you in advance for doing your part. You can click the link in the show notes for this episode or head right on over to patreon.com slash beyondmeasurepodcast. Thank you so much. On with the show. Today, I wanted to talk about thinking like a beginner. Now, I quickly realized that this is a topic I could talk about probably all year long, but I thought I would give you kind of the highlight reel today. So, of course, we all know how important it is to approach our students understanding that they do not know all the things that we know. But like so many other things in life, knowing this and doing it are two very different things altogether. I can never talk about this topic without thinking about my college physics professor. So in undergrad, I took an honors section of a particular physics course, and this like gen ed physics class was rumored to be kind of simple. So I just decided to take the honors section so I could fulfill one of those credits that I needed for the honors college. But anyway, little did I know that the honors section of this supposedly easy course was taught by like the star researcher of the physics department. (laughs) From day one of that course, it was apparent to me that, number one, this man was brilliant, and also, number two, he had no idea how to relate to those of us who knew pretty much nothing about physics. Never in my life have I been so hopelessly lost for an entire course. (laughs) It was such a unique experience for me that... I don't know. I could go on and on about that, but I'll spare you. I will just say this. I have never in my life been so happy to have a professor who graded on a curve (laughs) because all of us did so badly. (laughs) But anyway, because I can't help but study interesting people that I encounter, I was totally fascinated by this guy and how he approached his class. Mostly because I could see his frustration building through every class meeting because he also recognized that we were all lost and none of us were on the same page as him. 
Now, as a teacher of music, I am sure that you have been there on at least a somewhat smaller scale, right? I mean, we have all had moments where we think we're explaining something as clearly as we possibly can, but the student in front of us remains completely lost, right? (laughs) Tell me I'm not alone here. But this goes back to that point I made earlier. Knowing our students are learning all of this information for the first time is one thing, but actually teaching it in a way that supports this is another. No matter how long you've been teaching, you are carrying a vast amount of knowledge and experience inside your brain. (laughs) And there's no way to, like, unknow what you know. It's just like reading words. Once you know how to read, you can't look at a word and just see it like a jumble of letters. You can't not read the word. (laughs) And we are that way with music as well, of course. There are things we just know. And yet, our job is to work with people who don't know yet anyway. So before we dive too deep, I think it's incredibly important to remember that our students, any kind of beginner or any student who just doesn't know as much as we know, (laughs) all of these students are coming to us with a ton of preconceived ideas about the kind of learner they are. Once a child hits elementary school, They come to us with at least some kind of idea of how they learn. Now, this might be accurate or it might not be, but you'll have children like me who always do well in school and have no reason not to consider themselves like a good student. We get lots of those students in our studios, but there are also plenty of students who, based on all kinds of different classroom experiences at school already carry some internal beliefs that they are like problem students or slow learners. And this is true of children, but those preconceived notions just continue to build as a person gets older. Adult students especially, they come to us believing all kinds of things about what kind of learner they are, and that has a huge impact on how they receive our instruction. So I just think it's important to note that fact as we seek to understand our lesson experience through our students' eyes today. I work with a ton of young teachers and Certainly, learning to like whittle down concepts to their simplest elements is absolutely one of the most common struggles I see. For example, I can't tell you how many piano teachers I've seen get into trouble in that very first lesson because they neglect to explain how moving up the piano (laughs) means playing the keys to the right and how moving down means playing the keys to the left. Many students, upon their first encounter with the instrument, assume that moving up means moving from a white key to a black key, 
Because if you're thinking in the traditional sense of vertical movement, <laughs> the black keys are higher, <laughs> a higher surface level than the white keys. And yet, if a teacher is not anticipating this kind of confusion, they often get rattled by the student's lack of understanding, and the rest of the lesson can go sideways very quickly. Now, that's a very elementary example, but teachers of advancing students have every bit as much to like recalibrate in their expectations from time to time. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but the first time I ever attempted to teach a student how to execute like overlapping pedal <laughs> at the ripe old age of 14, mind you, I just had no idea how nuanced the concept actually was. And I just kept demonstrating and saying, you do it like this. <laughs> no, it's like this. Do it like this. <laughs> I cringe so hard to this day anytime I think about that lesson. It was awful. <laughs> so since I've learned a thing or two in the last 27 years of my teaching career, I now have some questions that I like to ask myself so that I don't fall into that whole, oh, you just do it like this syndrome. <laughs> the first thing I ask myself when I'm teaching a new concept is, how can I teach this without using any words? <laughs> yes, I have shared this mantra on the podcast before, but I always try to approach my teaching with a general plan of talking less, playing more, and listening the most. In other words, relying less on spoken words, more on playing, and most of all, soaking up any kind of cues I'm getting from my student. Talk less, play more, listen most. Of course, this idea runs pretty adjacent to Francis Clark's famous approach of sound before symbol, um, but it really comes down to always experiencing a concept before you worry about naming it. And I would add to that before reading it off of the page. But we'll get there, don't worry. It's the proverbial kid touching the hot stove, right? You can tell someone that a burner is hot, but just because we label it as hot, it doesn't mean the child knows what hot is. They know the word, but they don't know the experience. Likewise, if you tell a student a note is called staccato, before they actually experience hearing short, detached sounds, and furthermore, playing those kinds of sounds, the name staccato is useless. And let's be honest, it's kind of distracting since it's a bit of a tongue twister at first. All right, so I'm kind of giving away my next few questions here, so let me back up. We've established that overall, I'm going to explore as many ways to introduce a new concept with as few words as possible. How do I accomplish this? By asking myself even more questions, of course. <laughs> so first, as I am introducing a new concept, I ask myself if the student can hear the new concept. Listening is so sadly underrated in our lessons, friends. 
long before your students lay eyes on a new rhythmic pattern, they should be experiencing it through listening, through movement, through chanting, or lyric writing, or all of the above. This is so contrary to how most of us were taught. It takes very intentional effort from even the most seasoned teachers. Whatever concept you are introducing at the time, ask yourself if the student can hear it first or if they have heard it first. Similarly, next, consider if your student can play the new concept, as in, can they physically execute what you are wanting them to do? We have to remember, friends, reading notation is only one fraction of being a musician. And the majority of the time, let's be honest, reading the new concept And by reading, of course, I mean like seeing the symbol or the directive or whatever it might be on the page in front of them and applying it correctly is a complex skill. Ask yourself today, here's self-assessment, ready? (laughs) How much time do you spend working on a new concept without a book open in front of you? I would venture to say it's much more common to just flip the method book page and say, oh, look, it's time to learn the chromatic scale today. And then you, you know, try to teach the little piece designed to help students learn the chromatic scale with all those finger numbers and all of those accidentals. (laughs) When instead, what would happen if you closed the book and just spent some time playing half steps? first just with a single finger, and then implementing the correct fingering, then naming the notes as you went, or maybe doing some singing along the way, so that by the time you went back to that book, your student wasn't just slammed with an onslaught of ink off the page. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I will tell you right now, when you teach that way, the chances your student is going to come back the next week doing the things you want them to do, you know, like playing with the correct fingers in an even pulse and with a confident tone, all of those things have a much higher chance of actually happening in week two if you've spent some time outside of the book drilling unique concepts. So these two questions are incredibly important to keep in your mind. Number one, can my student hear this new concept or have they been hearing this new concept? And number two, can my student play this new concept? So let's stick with that chromatic scale idea for a moment, okay? Anytime I am introducing the chromatic scale, I start by playing entrance of the gladiators for my students (laughs) because, well, who doesn't love that, right? (laughs) Students hear that chromaticism first. They almost always say, hey, I know that, that's circus music, right? And of course they think, hey, I want to be able to do that. All right, so I have their attention, they're sold, they're invested, right? So then we move on to actually playing the concept. In a pianist case, We know that we're trying to get the third fingers to play all of the black keys, 
at least at first, right? Yes, there are alternate versions of the chromatic scale fingering later on, <laughs> but we start with our third finger on F sharp. We play a little pattern of black, white, black, white, black, ascending from that F sharp, right? I play various combinations of ascending and descending patterns on the keys in various speeds and students repeat them. I mean, that's super fun. Notice we're doing all of this swimming in that like three black key territory long before we worry about those white key traps where the second finger has to come into play. Anyway, I'm not trying to get carried away teaching you the chromatic scale, but you get the idea, right? <laughs> At this point, my students can hear it and they can play it. And that sets us up to be able to read it. The book can come back out at that point. In addition to those two points of criteria, there's one other thing I always like to consider when I'm trying to think like a beginner. What does my student need to know before understanding this new idea? In my somewhat extensive experience of observing young teachers, I cannot begin to tell you how often I watch students struggle with a new concept because they haven't figured out something else more fundamental first. It is often an issue with physical technique, but it could be a flaw in the way they are feeling internal pulse, it could be a misunderstanding of a previously learned concept. I mean, there are so many factors, right? But if you find yourself in one of those lessons where you feel like you're trying everything and a student is just not getting it, try walking yourself backwards. Ask yourself exactly what needs to be understood before mastering this new idea. It could very well be that you find the solution lurking somewhere in the background. <laughs> this is where my now infamous saying comes into play that sometimes the thing you think is the thing is not really the thing. <laughs> I think I first said that in episode 19 when I was talking about making the most of online lessons and I just keep coming back to it because it's just so true. Sometimes the thing you think is the thing is not really the thing. It's true, and you're welcome. Oh, so I feel like I'm just getting warmed up here, but uh, the clock tells me it's time to wrap up. So I hope I've given you something to think about today. But here's the gist. Remember to explore all the ways that you can help your students learn new concepts and especially those that do not involve using words. When you find yourself introducing an idea to a student, ask yourself if they first can hear the concept, then figure out if they can play the concept, and if there is struggle in either one of those departments, backtrack by asking yourself what they really need to know before tackling that concept. See if you can find a weak link somewhere in that chain, and then try, try again. All right, it is that time, my friends. So please join me in a toast 
to you, music teacher friends from all over the world. I want to encourage you today to remember what it's like to be a beginner, to have no previous understanding of a subject whatsoever. If you haven't been a beginner in a while, I would strongly recommend finding an opportunity. Being a beginner is such an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> There's all the insecurity that comes with being in a foreign atmosphere. But there's also that great sense of surprise when you find something new within yourself. It is so important for us to remember what it's like to be a beginner, my friends. Take some time today, here's your assignment, to think about a particular student who will be learning a new concept soon. Pick one student and think about what specifically you might be teaching them in the next couple of weeks challenge your teacher brain to think outside the box in your approach to that one single concept. Make sure your student can hear it, make sure they can play it, and make sure they know all the things they need to know before they try it so they can be successful in their earliest attempts. Little by little, the more you do this, the more depth you will show as an educator. And, by the way, I think we all need this reminder from time to time that no one expects you to give the perfect lesson all the time. We all have days where we struggle to communicate clearly. It's the human condition. So, if you find yourself feeling embarrassed or disappointed in the way you introduced something recently, let that one go, my friend. Be kind to yourself because you are still learning every day. Cheers to you, my teacher friends. May we all build our skills one step at a time. Here, here. Thank you for tuning in to episode 89 of the Beyond Measure podcast. I know we're a little over time, so thanks for hanging with me. This is your weekly reminder to make sure that we are friends on Instagram and Facebook. We have such a good time there. <laughs> and of course, if you want to come support the podcast, monthly Patreon subscriptions are available for $3 and $6 a month. I adore this community and I am so happy you are here. So until next week, onward and upward, let's make it a really good week, okay?